So church, we've been uh, walking through this teaching series that is attempting to, to answer a really difficult question. Uh, and the question is, okay, how do we live as Christians in a world like the world we find ourselves in now? A world that's super polarized, uh, lots of division, lots of yelling, uh, raised emotions, suspicion, anger, these kind of things. And, and we've answered it in a pretty succinct way that says, how we live is that we follow Paul's command that love never fails. Right? It's a, kind of the conclusion or the, the climactic statement of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so we've, this whole series is an attempt to uh, give us means of living in love in uncertain times uh, and amongst people of all different persuasions and in times where there's lots of arguing and divisiveness and, and polarization. Uh, and so we started, as we always try to do here at Hope, by giving ourselves an identity statement. That is, what does the gospel say we are? What does the Bible say we are? Who does God say we are? And we said that we do not build towers, remember? Instead, we are temples. We are moving temples. Paul says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus was the epitome uh, of the temple. Jesus said, listen, I'll destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about a physical place. He was talking about himself. The temple is the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where God can dwell so that he can be with his people. And so we can't build towers out of fear or out of elitism or pride and condescension toward the world around us. Instead, God's called us in the manner of Jesus to take his message and the gospel and his presence into the midst of the people, to be temples. And so we've said that part of that, or a huge issue of that, is that as temples we are called to be loving. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that a main part of loving other people is listening to them. Now, you have to hear this from me to start this whole sermon. That is that I am not by nature, a good listener. And many of you are going, yeah, we knew that already, right? We've been in conversations with you. Uh, I like to do, I like to move, I like to respond. All of those make me naturally not a good listener. That's a weakness. I'm not giving you an excuse. It's something to move into. So once again, and preparing this talk, it's incredibly challenging to someone like me. And so I want you to know that I walk with you and in trying to grow in embracing this identity of uh, a temple and being an agent of love in our world. And part of that means to be a good listener. But let's be honest. In our world right now, it's not just Adam who struggles to listen. It's basically everybody, isn't it? And so much so that in our world, uh, the thing that is valued the most is speaking your truth right, or, or getting your point across, even if it means having to yell over other people. This is why social media exists, right? This is why cable news networks exist, to yell over each other, to declare points, and there's not a whole lot of listening. And what I want to suggest to you is, that is the epitome of building towers. As Christians, we can't live like that. It doesn't mean we're not uh, called to have opinions. It doesn't mean we don't have truth. 
It doesn't mean we don't have a message to convey, but we don't do it like that. Instead, we're called to be temples who bring this message in love. And core to the idea of love is listening. Now, our, our impetus for this, or our model for this, you could say it either way, is the incarnation of Jesus. Right? Incarnation is a theological word. It just means that Jesus came to earth, right? Many of you like chili, and some of you like chili con carne, right? What does that mean? It's chili with meats, right? Carne is meat. Incarnation means flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. He came to be with us. And, and, and sometimes, because uh, central to Christianity is the cross, so Jesus came to die on the cross for us. And this is absolutely true. And, and central and key, don't mishear me in any way. But core to Jesus' coming was actually to be with us. Right? And the cross is actually the means by which God accomplishes the ability to be with us forever. Sin and death are defeated. That doesn't, I'm not shrinking the cross, not making it any less central. I'm trying to position it so we understand that it is God's desire right from the beginning of creation that He would dwell with His people. And in Jesus, God does that again. It's the incarnation. Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross. That's why he didn't come as an adult and simply go right to the cross, right? Instead, he lived 30 years on this earth before he got to the climactic moment of crucifixion. And he lived 27 years on this earth before he even began preaching a gospel message. And part of that is to demonstrate to us that this whole thing was about being with humanity, amongst humanity. Certainly, he had a mission to accomplish and a message to proclaim, but all of it was within this reality of bringing God close to people. Nelson, we can't point to an exact chapter and verse uh, to say what I'm about to say, but most of us, I think, inherently know that this is true. It is that Jesus was a profoundly good listener. And again, there's plenty of verses we find where Jesus is listening to someone, but we don't have like Romans chapter 12, verse 6 that says, and Jesus was a great listener, right? But you get the point. Inherently, we know it, right? Because he is love, and we know that part of love is listening, and because he knows people so well, and they respond to him, and they connect to him. Part of that, central to that, is this idea of listening, and listening as a part of incarnation. We believe that theologically, don't we? That's why we pray. Because right? we believe God intends to listen to us. Not necessarily to agree with us, right? We've prayed things and they haven't turned out how we want it. It's not about God agreeing with us per se, but He listens. The busiest of all schedules and He's listening. And Jesus in the flesh demonstrates the listening heart of God to us. Listening is a profound means of love. Think about it with me. The last time you felt like someone really listened to you. And how did it make you feel? Valued. 
embraced, accepted, loved. One author puts it this way. She says, when we listen to someone, we invite them to exist. We're valuing who they are. But here's the problem. Most people, maybe to a lesser degree than me, but most people are not naturally good at listening, right? And that's why uh, James puts it succinctly like this in James chapter 1. You remember this when we, when we walked through the book of James earlier uh, this year for a couple of months. He said, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, right? Now, when you're interpreting texts from Scripture, one of the questions you're taught to ask is, okay, why? Why is this here? And so let's ask the question, why would James write something like this? And we can only come to one conclusion, because he knows we're not good at it, right? He knows he has something to say universally to humanity, because we are quick to speak, and oftentimes quick to become angry, and typically that's because we are slow to listen. I think there's something inherent in Christianity uh, as a culture or a subculture that doesn't value listening, that moves us to think that speaking is the only holy or good thing we can do that God says is significant. There's a super famous uh, German pastor uh, who was part of the resistance to the rise of Nazism. Many of you are familiar with him. His name's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, He wrote a little treatise on the reality of Christian community called Life Together. And part of that book, he writes on the value of listening. Listen to what he says. I think this is so convicting. He says, Christians, especially ministers, right? Poke your finger right at the pastor, right? Christians, especially pastors, so often think that they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they ought to be listening. That was so convicting to me. Perhaps to you as well. This is not a Christian problem. This is a deeply human problem, isn't it? There's something that's part of us that makes it difficult to listen. And I would suggest to you, it's our brokenness. It's our sinfulness. It's our pride and selfishness. So that when someone is speaking or has opportunity to speak, we're typically analyzing it through a couple of lenses, typically subconsciously, right? The first is, will this be useful to me? And so we're analyzing, do I care about what they say? Am I interested in what they have to say? Do they seem like someone who has something to say that could be meaningful to me? By listening to them, can I move forward in some way? We're evaluating it based on usefulness. If something's boring to us, we're disinterested. If our calendar is full, we're disinterested because it's not useful in that moment. But you see, this this is a evaluation on the basis of pride or selfishness. Or... Perhaps it's this way. Is that is that, that we struggle to listen because we believe we are the solution. Right? That is, that we are going to fix the problem that someone has, 
Or we are going to rebut the position that someone has. Or we are going to one-up the story (laughs) that someone is sharing, right? And I've done all three of those things fairly regularly in my life. And all of those are evaluating communication through a deeply selfish lens. Me. 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 What is listening going to accomplish for me? How am I going to respond to this circumstance? Bonhoeffer welcomes us to say, listening in and of itself is a deeply gospel-saturated possibility. So how? How do we move from broken uh, people, broken by sin, uh, moved towards pride, uh, harried and hurried, and, and responding to people through the lens of me, into people who would act in love as temples to listen to other people? Well, the New Testament talks about it in, in many different places, but I want to go to Philippians chapter 2. Again, it does not speak of listening overtly, but it speaks of a deeper posture. This is what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Not do some things. Do do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, Those are the two reasons I just suggested we fail to listen to people, by the way. Rather, in humility, the opposite is humility, value others above yourself. This is super hard, right? This is all like, we hear these things and we're like, oh yes, this is what we're supposed to do. But when you deeply process stuff like this, that's really hard. Valuing others above yourself, doing nothing out of selfish ambition. Wow. Not looking, verse 4, to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul says the key to moving in love is dealing with the issue of pride. You see it? That the answer possibly to being a better listener is not going to a seminar and developing listening skills, though I believe we would all benefit from that, but actually to look deeper inside to the roots of things that are growing, to the issue of pride and selfishness and selfish ambition that causes us to posture ourselves in a certain way. Paul says the only way that you're going to act in love towards other people is if it's growing out of a sense of humility. Now listen. It is challenging in situations like this because we want to just go for it, right? We want to just go for the fruit, right? Okay, I've got to pass around says I've got to be humble, so I'm going to go home and try to be super humble. Uh, and that's a wonderful ambition, but it is um, a, a misguided errand in the wilderness to speak in a puritanical sort of way, right? The idea is, you know this, right? If you're just trying to add fruit to your tree, it's going to lead either to elitism or defeatism. In other words, you're going to build such an external facade around you that you say, look at me. Or you're going to realize, I can't do this stuff 
And it's going to move you to utter defeatism and throwing in the towel. But Paul never tells us to pursue sanctification in that way. Rather, he always says, belief, identity, leads to behavior. We've got to believe the right things about who God is and what He's done and who we are. That leads to a true identity of who we are. And that when we truly embrace that identity, it, it blossoms all kinds of new fruit in our life, one of which is humility. And so Paul here, though we didn't read it, if you go back to verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2, he makes an identity statement, as he always does before he tells us how we ought to behave. He says, you are joined to Jesus, right? You're united to Christ. That is not just a theological statement. It is an identity statement. It's who you are. That Jesus is actually joined to you. That means that Jesus is where you are, and that means that Jesus is connected to what you do. <laughs> do you see this? Paul really teases a lot of this out in 1 Corinthians into some of the crazy things people were doing. He's trying to tell them, listen, you're joined to Jesus. Like, when you do these things, you're dragging him with it too. This is who we are. That the God of the universe didn't just dismiss us because of our rebellion but because of His love radically transforms us. He comes near to us in Jesus, not just for a quick glimpse, but to actually join Himself to us so that we can be in dynamic relationship with God. That's who you are. That's how valuable you are. That's how loved you are. Those are settled matters. You don't have to go looking for it out in the world. You're accepted, you're, you're significant, you're secure. So on the basis of that then, you are free to listen. But this is not your performance in responding that is going to win the day or secure significance for you. It's not your... Uh, dismissal of someone else in order to embrace someone else that's going to set you aside or secure you uh, for a certain future. You're free. You see that there's a deep freedom that comes in this. And so Paul says, listen, if this is true of you, that you're united to Christ, then do nothing out of selfish ambition. Instead, embrace humility. And he goes on to show us what life in Christ looks like. Well, the famous uh, ancient hymn, right? Verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another then, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, if anyone was going to dismiss someone else and say, you know what? Nothing is going to be useful from this conversation for me. It would have been Jesus and God himself, correct? But Paul says that's not how God approaches us. Instead, he willingly sets aside his status in order to come near to us. And part of coming near to us is giving us ear to listen. Incredible. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing. Listen to this. Taking on the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness. But to be joined to Jesus means we ought to be embracing the posture of being a servant of God and a servant to others. That this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for us. That his ambition was to serve us, not himself. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there it is, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That humility embraced through identity can lead to such incredible obedience even to the point of laying down your life. If it can do that, it certainly can bear the fruit of laying down five minutes to give ear to your next door neighbor. You see this? Or 30 minutes to listen to your colleague at work who comes into your room at the end of the day to vent for a little bit. Listen, I'm not telling you or suggesting to you that you need to wipe your schedules clean so you can listen for the rest of your life. I'm just suggesting we often make very little time for it. And one of the most profound ways we can engage in love is to be listeners. Think about this. If this gospel saturation takes root in us, right? If we don't just hear, but we welcome it in us, and therefore we do, as James says in James chapter 1. If we really live this way, transformation begins to happen in us. Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Right? That salvation certainly is salvation from sin that welcomes us into the eternal life that God offers, but it's salvation in its fullest sense. It's salvation from ourselves. It's salvation from this world that's ordering our lives in a certain way. It's the gospel that sets us free. Do you see this? And so it's the gospel that also rescues us in order to be who God calls us to be. If, if we welcome this in, if we embrace it, if we take it, if we live in light of it, we start to be transformed from people who are motivated by selfish ambition, right? And instead are motivated by the humility of our Savior Jesus. And this will mean a radically different posture in the world in which we find ourselves. Because all too often, as Christians and as the church, we look like the world. And Paul would say, "Mm, if you're joined to Jesus, it's got to be different. you got to look like Jesus, who though he had the status, he had the truth, he got everything right, was willing to enter into the mess out of humility, not to condemn Jesus says, or John says in John chapter 3, but to rescue and to save. This changes us, it transforms us from pride to humility. And suddenly, listening is no longer about, "Mm, could this be useful to me? Then I'll give you my ear. But I want to love you, and so I'm going to step out in faith and listen. The act of listening is actually an act of faith, right? That says, okay, God. I'll try it your way instead of how I in my flesh would have responded in this moment. 
It doesn't make things less boring <laughs> than they might have otherwise been. It doesn't make things less wrong than they might have otherwise been. It's not necessarily about changing your mind about things. It's about valuing other people enough to hear them. Think about Jesus when he paused to hear the story of the bleeding woman. You remember the story? Jesus is on his way. There's an urgent need. A super important person named Jairus, right? A synagogue leader. He was elite. His daughter was near death. And in fact, later they heard he, she had died. And Jesus was on his way to heal her. And on his way, he gets a tug on the corner of his garment. You remember this story? And Jesus pauses. And is like, who, who touched me? And the disciples, namely Peter, is like, dude, everyone's touching you. It's like a mob of crowd, right? We're going to be in the boardwalk uh, in a couple of weeks at Ocean City. It'd be like walking down the boardwalk on a Wednesday night in the middle of summer and being like, who touched me? Like, the entire city just touched you, right? <laughs> They're all around you. And by the way, we're doing this. What are you doing? Jesus, no, 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 no. Something happened, Jesus says. And I feel power come out of me. It's a strange story, right? And Jesus turns and he identifies the woman and he basically affirms her value in that moment, right? She was a woman who had been bleeding for seven years. That meant she was ritually unclean. She couldn't partake in the holiest of ceremonies of the temple versus this man Jairus who was a leader of the synagogue. You tell me who's more important. Jesus stops and he calls her, after hearing her story, he calls her daughter. She's the only person that we know of in the New Testament that Jesus gives this name. And he heals her. And he makes much of her in that moment. Think of what it would have been like to be her in that moment. After the first few moments of terror that you touched him and he felt power come out and now you might be in trouble, right? And you realize, no, no, he's loving me. He's valuing me. He's affirming me. It's not just this this person who could be useful to him in his ministry, like Jairus in the synagogue, but it's little old me who has nothing to give him. Jesus says, you're so valuable that I'm going to stop this and affirm you. And in the moment of stopping, and in the delay that comes, the, the messengers come back and say, don't bother the master anymore, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Think about that, right? And Jesus still moves forward and, and ends up healing her. But Jesus values people. Incredible. Listen, if we embrace a posture of listening, if we uh, embrace and welcome the gospel in, in such a way that it leads uh, to a slow but sure transition from pride to humility in our life that leads towards listening, I believe that there will be incredible fruit to show for the kingdom of God. Because I think there are three things that are true of genuine listening. And we see them in the life of Jesus. Genuine listening, first and foremost, affirms our shared humanity. Genuine listening affirms our shared humanity. 
as I shared in the story of the bleeding woman, imagine Jesus stopping and affirming your value and dignity. This is what God Himself says about human beings in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He says, So, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Right? Two really important things to take away from this verse. First is, God created humanity. And it wasn't just a created and then let it take care of itself. It's an intimately connected creation that every single human being who has lived, is living, and will live is not just the product of human beings' procreation, but the actual dynamic creation of a holy God. And he goes a step further and says, they're not just created beings, they're actually image bearers. That every single human being, no matter what they've done, how they've done it, what politics they have, what views on the coronavirus they have, uh, where they're at, what they wear, what their ethnicity is, is someone who can rightfully say they have been created by God and they bear His image. When we pause to genuinely listen, we affirm this in humanity. No matter what their particular talking points of the moment might be. But when we dismiss other people offhand because of how they look, because of their ethnicity, because of their socioeconomic background, because of their, so, uh, their, their supposed political affiliations, whatever it might be, when we dismiss them, I would suggest we inherently deny these truths. But they're image bearers. And we do not give them the dignity that they rightfully deserve. Genuine listening affirms our shared humanity. The second thing is equally important is that genuine listening seeks to understand. Genuine listening seeks to understand. Uh, this is what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. He says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Far too often, I fall into the category of fool. Right? So much of Proverbs is about being wise, not being foolish. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but seek only to air their own opinions. In the original Hebrew there, this idea of airing your own opinions just means speaking your heart, right? speaking your truth, speaking your stuff, talking over people. What it mean to stop and to seek to actually understand, to hear, to truly believe that people come to opinions, viewpoints, True beliefs about truth statements, whatever it is, because of personal realities, because of experiences in life, because of family heritage, they have a story to tell that can be valued even if at the end of it you choose to disagree about conclusions 
Someone shared a story with me several weeks back at the start of a series that just was a super blessing to me. It said, listen, uh, I've been taking, we're, there's this other person at church and I, we have different political viewpoints, but we've decided we're going to take a walk. Uh, I forget if it's once a week or once a month. And we're going to talk to each other and seek to understand. And, and if it ever starts to get contentious, we're going to pause and we're going to stop to pray. And I thought to myself, well, Perhaps you should preach the sermons from here on out because that's exactly it. Do you understand it? That this kind of posture of seeking to understand, of valuing humanity, is exactly how Jesus lived. This is why, more often than not, even when Jesus was asked questions, he responded with questions, <laughs> not statements, right? Jesus had the truth, right? Paul writes later in Colossians that Jesus was, is, is the, the source, the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. He's got it all. And people are coming to Him with this. And Jesus, usually instead of just giving them a flat out answer, asks them more questions. Why? Because He wants to understand. Where are they coming from? What are the things that are important to them? What are the touch points? What are the experiences they've had? Because truth is not just a proposition to be believed or not believed in a so-called objective world. We're all subjective people who've been informed by so many things in life. In fact, Jesus rarely got heated. <laughs> and the few times that he did, it was to religious elite people. You know this, right? We've talked about this before. But Jesus oftentimes radically disagreed and yet kept it under wraps. But to the religious, religious elite, every once in a while, needed to just, as we say, let it fly <laughs> and speak truth. What would it mean if as Christians and as the church, it was understood of us that, yes, we believe certain things to be true. We're not moving from those things. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. But we weren't known as indoctrinators but rather people who valued others in such a profound way that we loved them and listened to them and valued them. This, to me, speaks of what it means to live the way of Jesus. Because the final thing is true. The genuine listening prepares us to speak well. Genuine listening prepares us to speak well. Now listen. Listen. I would suggest to you, as Bonhoeffer suggested earlier, there are times when listening is a complete sentence, right? There are moments when all we're meant to do in that reality is simply listen. You remember the story of Jesus, his friend Lazarus, who dies, I think it's John chapter 11. Remember Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha? Uh, and they're frustrated, you know, rightfully so. Their brother has died. Jesus is delayed in coming to them. It's difficult moments and Mary uh, excuse me Martha has a lot to say to Jesus and Jesus processes with her and he talks back to her right and helps her understand things but Mary's just overwhelmed in emotion and Jesus says nothing to Mary he just simply cries with her but sometimes if we're listening well we don't speak but sometimes if we're listening well we speak appropriately Jesus demonstrates this for us. 
we're able to speak well after listening, not simply because we've taken time to understand where someone else is coming from, but listen to me, we've also taken time to hear from God Himself. That inherent in our listening to other people is also quieting ourselves enough that God can speak to us as well. Bonhoeffer, at the end of the very end of his whole section on listening in uh, Life Together, says it this way. We must listen with the ears of God so we can speak the word of God. You see this? Listen like God listens so we can speak the truth uh, or the words of comfort or of uh, whatever the way God would speak it. James reminds us, listen, as agents of love, as gospel-saturated people, we've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because we're temples, not towers. Temples who are meant to bring the presence of God close. Not worried about condoning things. Not worried about being coerced or corrupted by things. Our identity is settled. What we believe is true, they're settled matters for us. We have an identity in the Gospel. And so we're free. We're free from those burdens in order to listen. And that's prompted to speak. But in so doing, to embrace a posture in the way of Jesus. Posture that opens the hearts and the minds of others in the same way that we have opened our heart and our mind towards them. Listen, in the next several weeks, in the next several days, probably later today at some point, you're going to encounter people who perceive the world radically different than you do, right? For all numbers of reasons be it politics, be it economics, be it uh, ethnic diversity, be it whatever. And you will have an urge inside of you to dismiss. You will have an urge inside of you to objectify or to, uh, to make assumptions. You will have an urge inside of you to roll your eyes. That's, I'm so guilty of that, right? The classic eye roll. In that moment, I pray the Spirit catches your ear and catches your heart and speaks a simple statement of identity to you. Don't build towers. Be a temple. After all, you're united to Jesus. These are settled matters for you. Let's embrace our shared humanity. Let's seek to understand. No, not in means of compromising what we believe. But in a posture of love towards other people. So that, when prompted, we can speak well. Can I pray with you?